0: This is You've Already Been Hacked, recorded on 12 September 2021. Jumping right into this week's cyber news, ProtonMail has altered its privacy policy after disclosing an activist's IP address. Now, for those that don't know what ProtonMail is, it is a... um, supposed to be anonymous, highly secure um, email provider located in Switzerland. Um, however, th- this past weekend, not the 11th and 12th, but the weekend prior, uh, news broke that the security and privacy-focused email service turned over a French climate activist's IP address and browser fingerprint to Swiss authorities. The move seemingly ran counter to the service's well-known policies, which as recently as last week stated that, quote, by default, we do not keep any IP logs which can be linked to your anonymous email account, unquote. After providing the IP address for the activists to the Swiss authorities, ProtonMail removed the section that had promised no IP logs, replacing it with one saying Proton Mail is email that respects privacy and puts people, not advertisers, first. Now, ProtonMail, while originally may have been allowed legally to not uh, keep IP logs, uh, things change, and governments change laws, and the Swiss changed theirs, and ProtonMail had to uh, oblige. So, in terms of service, devils in the details, um, Proton's mail, ProtonMail's original policy simply stated that the service did not keep any IP logs by default. However, as a Swiss company, ProtonMail was obliged to comply with a court's injunction demanding that it began logging IP addresses and browser fingerprint information for a particular ProtonMail account. So, as of right now it seems like they're not um going to be default logging everyone however that may not be true as the future goes on and if you're of concern for someone that uh may have an interest in the service uh, or an interest in your emails legally um protomail may be forced to start logging your activity ProtonMail made many statements uh this past week uh Uh, basically uh, encompassing that they could not legally challenge uh, the Swiss law that required them to log the IP because uh, uh, Swiss law had actually been broken and, quote-unquote, legal tools for serious crimes were used. ProtonMail did not believe the tools were appropriate for the case at hand, but the company was legally responsible to uh, comply with uh, with the order nonetheless, the company still has an ethos, um, proton mail that is of, of wanting this anonymization. So they're, they're trying to walk the line, right? And by, by trying to walk the line, what they're doing now is they are adding a landing page on their front page that directly links to aggregated information about the Tor network to be used, uh, when you're accessing ProtonMail. That way, uh, the the IP address that you're using is randomized, right? This is the same concept as a VPN, although a little more, uh, one one more step removed uh, from actually paying for a service. Tor is not something you pay for, it is something you were able to download free and connect to via uh, their customized uh, web interface or browser. And since Tor itself requires on technical means to obfuscate IP addresses, um, not policies, it's a matter of let's call it when, not if, uh, chicken egg sort of thing, um, government agency, uh, cyber entity, whatever is able to uh, understand how those Tor technical implementations work uh, and are able to compromise them. Would, then they would still be able to see the IP addresses and know who is what and where. Um, so you're relying on uh, open source technology in order for that anonymous, anonymization. One final note out of all of this is ProtonMail still does encrypt the body of the email itself, and the keys of that encryption are unavailable to the servers processing them. That's Good, that means the content of the message was still garbled, right? Couldn't be read by anybody but the intended sender and receiver. However, because we're talking about standard internet protocols needing to be used, right? SMTP requires the email sender, email recipient, and the message timestamp to be server accessible. So while the courts in Switzerland may not know, or the authorities may not know, what the content of the message says. They do know the email address that it came from, and they know the email address it went to, and they know when it was sent, which in and itself gives them, you know, law enforcement entities or others, the ability to now pinpoint um, where to start looking at a minimum. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has filed sanctions against three financial service companies for failing to uphold cybersecurity procedures, which resulted in the exposure of thousands of customers' personal information. This announcement came this past Monday. Uh, It sanctioned the broker, dealer, and investment advisory firms in three actions for cybersecurity failures after threat actors gained unauthorized access to personally identifiable information for customers and clients. This happened by hacking into cloud-based email accounts. The three companies the US SEC took action against were CERTA Financial Group, Cambridge Investment Research, and KMS Financial Services. Uh, All have agreed to settle charges without admitting to or denying the SEC's findings. The individual fines uh, waver between $200,000 and $300,000 each. The findings in these sanctions include violations against regulations designed to protect confidential customer information, such as the safeguards rule, as well as improper breach notifications to clients. Uh, The safeguards rule requires that every broker, dealer, and investment advisor registered with the SEC uh, adopt written policies and procedures quote-unquote reasonably designed to safeguard customer records and information. I guess the definition of reasonable is uh, where these companies took a different definition than what the SEC had. In particular, CERTA is being charged with neglecting both. According to the SEC filing, between November 2017 and June 2020, accounts of over 60 CERTA entities' uh, personnel were taken by unauthorized third parties resulting in the exposure of PII for at least 4,300 customers and clients. In the findings, the SEC said none of the hacked accounts were protected in a manner consistent with the stated policies of CERTA. Additionally, uh, the order found that CERTA Advisors LLC and CERTA Investment Advisors LLC sent breach notifications to the firm's clients, so that's good, That, but uh, the notifications included, quote, misleading template language suggesting that the notifications were issued much sooner than they were uh, actually after the discovery of incidents. So they say, that uh, I, I'm assuming I haven't read this, but it, it sounds like uh, CERTA stated that they uh, were issuing the notification shortly after they were aware of the breach, when in actuality it could have been you know, months, years, something like that. With regard to Cambridge, um, the SEC findings state that they knew of the hack back in January 2018 and failed to adopt and, and implement firm-wide enhanced security measure, measures for cloud-based email accounts until 2021 resulting in the exposure and the potential exposure of additional customer and client records and information. With regard to KMS, uh, the SEC's findings stated that 15 advisors or their assistants uh, had their accounts uh, accessed in an unauthorized way sometime between September 2018 all the way through December 2019, and this resulted in the PII exposure of approximately 4,900 KMS customers and clients. And the SEC states that the firm did not adopt uh, firm-wide security measures until May of 2020 and did not fully implement those additional security measures until August 2020, placing additional customers and client records and information at risk. So ultimately, for where I sit, this is just a case of companies saying they're going to do a thing and then not doing the thing. Whether they're meant to not do it or not, uh, you know, techn- uh, technically, uh, competently, uh, misleadingly, whatever, um, <clears throat> the watchers are watching, right? So uh, make sure you are in compliant with the regulatory standard for the uh the industry you're in. And honestly, I would say go above the minimum. You're only helping yourself. And while it may seem like there is extra cost involved with doing more than the minimum required, uh, you're probably saving yourself tons of money, time, and expended resource in the long term by doing so. This past week, parts of New Zealand were cut off from the internet after a major local ISP was hit by an aggressive DDoS attack. Vocus, the country's third largest internet operator, which is behind the brands including Oricon, Slingshot, Stuff Fiber, confirmed the cyber attack originated at one of its customers. According to a network status update, the company said, quote, this afternoon, which was the 8th and 9th of September, depending on what time zone you're in, um, a Vocus customer was under a DDoS attack. A DDoS mitigation rule was updated to the Arbor DDoS platform to block the attack for the end customer. Uh, the company also added that, based on initial investigations, it was a, this rule change that disrupted service to a range of Vocus customers. We are working closely with the vendor of the platform to understand why this occurred. This will have affected a range of Vocus customers for approximately 30 minutes. So the types of stuff that went down for 30 minutes, seemingly uh, to protect a DDoS attack, they DDoS themselves, sort of thing, were banks, post offices, uh, and and various other types of. Uh, Entities to probably include end users such as uh, myself or or all of you out there. Which you know this this is kind of interesting just in the abstract for all of us. There was the major cyber attack that was happening, right? The DDoS was the malicious activity. However, something seems to have been totally uh, gaffed up in the in the rule set at the their provider because. They should have been able to block the attack without disrupting, you know, the three major cities uh, services inside of New Zealand at the same time. In effect, the the DDoS attack was still successful because all that stuff went down, right? Mission accomplished. I don't care if it was because, you know, I as the bad actor am doing it or if you do it to yourself because of the actions I'm taking, the end result was still the same. Um, so, This is where regular audits and checks and tests and all that sort of stuff uh, to be left of an event. If you're looking at, you know, a timeline going from left to right, you want to be left of an event. You want to make sure that when you do something, the things you do don't impact your systems. They mitigate the problem. Um, Having test networks. Virtual networks, cyber ranges, all of that sort of stuff uh, will help you be more prepared for this. So when you have to take an act, uh, the likelihood of your action being worse than what the event was uh, should be low. And finally, the United Nations this past Thursday confirmed that it was a victim of a cyber attack earlier this year and that the attacks related to the original breach that were ongoing. The announcement was made in response to a report from Bloomberg News, which went out this past Thursday, that hackers had breached the UN in early April and had stolen data through the use of login credentials from a UN employee that were bought on the dark web. In a statement from the UN, Quote, we can confirm that unknown actors were able to breach parts of the United Nations infrastructure in April of 2021, unquote. Bloomberg cited findings from the the cybersecurity company uh, ReSecurity in reporting this breach. Uh, What ReSecurity found is that hackers were still active on UN networks as recently as August 2021. Now, Resecurity did provide information to the UN, and it looks like the UN um, already kind of knew that this was going on and was taking actions. So, at least it seems like from their public statements that um, they were they were dealing with it. However, uh, this is a this is a telling statement of the situation the UN has to regularly deal with. So uh, a statement from the UN was, quote, the United Nations is frequently targeted by cyber attacks, including sustained campaigns. We can also confirm that further attacks have been detected and are being responded to that are linked to this earlier breach, unquote. Uh, It would make sense, right, whether it be from uh, nefarious actors, malicious cyber actors, state governments, et cetera, et cetera. The U.N. is probably a prime target for information and posturing. Uh, So I would bet their networks are consistently banned against by all sorts of actors. Um, I hope uh, that they definitely have the uh, best of the best uh, defending their networks because these people will need to be right uh, uh, nearly 100, if not 110% of the time. That's all for the news this week. I'm your professor of cyber risk. And we'll talk again soon. If you like this podcast, share it with your colleagues and friends. Your support is how we are able to continue to make this content. Thank you.